Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV, on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at Benetora Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is on infertility, surrogates, and the silent stories that come before baby. I can't begin to count the number of families who take a long, hard road to becoming a family. We sit in baby and toddler classes all around this country, beaming with joy, as if everyone who ever wanted to start a family got their wish without heartache, sadness, and unimaginable loss. I'm grateful to Alex for bringing up this topic for us. It's not just a story with moms, but a story with dads too. Alex and David reminded me of that in class one day. The stories don't get erased when the baby comes. Today we want to honor a painful journey that many parents take to get here, here to family. And I'm deeply grateful to Alex Rappaport, Lori Schaefer, and Alexis Geller for being here with me to share their stories with you. Alex, will you tell us your story and how it's still very much a part of your family story? I would absolutely love to. And let me start by really saying that I feel like I'm living a dream. Um, I never would have thought that my 27-year-old self would now be 31 years old, but finally in my mommy and me classes with my beautiful baby girl who took a long time to get here but was so worth the wait. And I truly believe that she was the baby David and I were meant to have. And tell everybody how old Blair is. So Blair is seven and a half months old, um, almost eight months. She's absolutely perfect, if I do say so myself. Absolutely. We concur. (laughs) My princess B. Um, But it was hard. A lot of tears were shed. We suffered from four losses. And then on top of that, we had an ectopic pregnancy, which ended in a rupture. I had to have emergency surgery, all which was going on while we were going through the process of settling our gestational carriers contract and everything like that. So it's kind of like kick you when you're down, but we were really floating high. Um, For us, we are considered infertile, infertility, um, as a couple, but we do conceive naturally. So getting pregnant is not really our issue. Um, Staying pregnant was, and I struggled for a really long time blaming myself for our problems. And while I was doing that to myself, I had the best partner in the world to pull me out of it. And together we took on this journey and it was a long one, it was an arduous one, but it ended with God's greatest gift. Surrogacy is not easy. It's very emotional. It's also 
financial. You've got a lot goes into it. How did you arrive at that choice? So ultimately, David and I would tell you we ran out of patience. Um, Doctors didn't have answers for us. Everyone wants to believe that there has to be an answer, but there really isn't. And we finally were able to just accept it. And we knew we wanted to have a family. So we said, how are we going to do it? And we wanted to try to have a biological child as best as we could. And if we couldn't, then there are so many other options out there. We were just determined to have a family, to be a family. So we started looking into agencies, and this could take you across the country, across the world. Um, I had spoken to people who have gone to European countries and South American countries. Um, but as far as our comfort level was, we wanted to do what we could to stay in our country and in our state. Um, and that was legal counsel that you had to stay in the state? So legally, yes. With surrogacy, the different states have different laws, governing laws. Um, for Florida, yes, we have very good laws as far as surrogacy is concerned. But more so for our emotional sake, we wanted to have someone local. We wanted to be a part of the process as much as we could and go to every single doctor's appointment and be there to support our carrier in any way that she needed to be supported. So we started with the agencies and somehow um, our carrier was God sent to us. Um, The daughter of one of my mom's very good friends came into our lives. I had never met her previous to all of this, and it's a crazy story, but she was really godsend and carried our baby completely full-term, 40 weeks, big, juicy, eight pounds, five-and-a-half-ounce baby Blair. Um, And her birthday was the most amazing experience of my life. And when we sit in these Mommy and Me classes and people start sharing their birth stories, I get uncomfortable And it makes me nervous, but I say to myself, I have a special story. Blair has a special story. Um, And when people look at me and I say I was on the other side of the operating room doors, they're kind of like, what? How? How?" And then it just makes us that much more special. I love it. And I want to come back to those feelings of discomfort because that's part of why we wanted to do this because of these stories that don't get shared or that we don't know how to bring them out and share them in this easy, open way. But I'm so happy for the love and joy that finally is surrounding you and that it all worked out so beautifully. But now you met Lori. Yes. In Resolve. Yes. And Lori just happens to be in class with us. This is another godsend. I know I keep saying that, but Lori and I were truly meant to be in each other's lives, I feel like. Um, Lori and I met at a support group and it just, we hit it off. Our paths just crossed and now we enjoy our children together. Amazing. Alright, so tell us about your story. Alex is really special to me too. Um, you know, we talked a lot as we were still going through our journeys about having playdates one day. And See, I love that, that you went, you have somebody by your side that went through the journey with you. We did, you. And, and here we are. Um, and we do mommy and me together, and we do have playdates together. And another girl that I kept in close touch with, I just went to her son's one-year-old birthday party this past weekend. Um, and some of the girls I met through Resolve they have a really special place in my heart and um, you know having that struggle and having that in common is 
is just a bond that is incredibly special. So I actually met my husband and got married a little bit later in life. I was 36 and um, I was really ready to start my family. Um, something that not everybody knows about me is I lost my parents pretty early and I'm an only child. So um, I was in my early 20s when I lost my folks and I had a wonderful upbringing and I had all the tools I needed to become a successful adult and I had extended family that really came in and, and supported me but it was always my dream to recreate a nuclear family. Um, I, I lost that and there's no love like a parent's love. They're just as close as you can be to other people that unconditional love of, of your parent is you just you can't replicate that. So um, I always thought I would get pregnant really easily and I did. I think I got pregnant maybe the second month that we tried, but like Alex, I, I had difficulty holding on to a pregnancy. That was my issue as well. Um, I That first miscarriage was incredibly difficult because I saw the baby's heartbeat twice. Um, I saw the baby's heartbeat at six weeks and at eight and a half weeks, and it was in my 12-week visit that I found out that we had lost the baby. And it was the holidays. I was announcing like the next day at a holiday party. It just it was it was heartbreaking. It brings um, you to it brings me to it, tears. It brings me to just... that first miscarriage of, of everything we went through. That first miscarriage was just it was so heartbreaking. And and what happened after that is all my friends got pregnant. Um, you know there was a group of us that that was single together, and we all met our husbands around the same time, and we were all around the same age. And and it was. There was just one of us that was struggling, and it was me, and, and that was incredibly tough to watch other people kind of move on. Uh, it did take us a while to get pregnant again, but we eventually did, and another miscarriage. And um, it turns out, once we started doing investigating, there was issues on both sides for us. Um, I could go on and on, but the long and short of it is my husband had surgery. I had surgery. I had an ovary removed. Um, we found out that there was a bit of a chromosomal problem with my eggs, so the, the easy, not so easy answer was to do uh, in vitro fertilization because that way we could do advanced testing. Uh, it's called PGD and it's where they actually biopsy the embryos so you could tell which are good embryos and which are not. And I will tell you that um, I did not make a million embryos. I actually had to do three retrievals before I ever got to a transfer to pull up enough embryos to make sense to test. Um, and they, you know, the, the ironic thing is they, they were all beautiful embryos, but there were very few that were normal. And so the path that we chose, the scientific path, was definitely the right one for us because I believe I would have kept on miscarrying um, mm -hmm. for a long time before we hit the jackpot, and who knows if we would have. So um, my little Dylan is with us today. I, I truly think that he is in every way the best possible the best little being that I could have ever created. And whether that's science or God or spirituality, I mean, he is just a dream. And um, it turns out that he, the minute they put him, they laid him on me and I looked into that baby's eyes, he looked so familiar. I just, I saw my mother, my father, my grandfather, all these people who I loved, I just, I saw them right in his eyes. They're my own eyes. Um, my baby looks a lot like me and, you know, there was a time when I, I didn't know whether I was going to have a child naturally. Just like Alex, we had a plan A, a B, a C, a D, an E, um, and luckily plan B worked. But it, it, never, it never passes me by the incredible um, luck that we had in, in, 
and the fact that that in vitro fertilization actually was successful for us because I think there's a misconception out there that if you're not getting pregnant naturally, you just go to IVF and it works. And Alex and I can tell you from being in an infertility support group that IVF doesn't work for everybody. And uh, many times you need to move on to other ways and be open to that. And um, for those people out there who, who conceived easily, just you know, feel lucky. It's, it's such a gift. It's such a gift. It's, yeah, we, it's nothing to be taken for granted. And Never. it's, and you just, you just, when you get married or you decide to start a family, I mean, like you said, you just believe I'm going to choose it and it's going to happen. And, and it's the path for, for anybody that wants it. And it's, it's, we, we, we say that, you know, that first stage of parenthood is the pregnancy period. But if you've gone through infertility, that might last four years, it might last nine years. That idea of who are we, what kind of family will we be, and that is so significant even in terms of defining the kind of parents you're going to be um, because those experiences are part of this process in the most intimate, personal way, and um, I'm, I'm really happy to, to share this. With every pregnancy or every positive pregnancy test, you immediately have those hopes and dreams, and you feel like a parent, you know, after and the And a due date, in a time that you want to announce. Correct. And, and all of that, it. you plan your life, and it no different than you would have been if you were holding that baby in your arms. Right. And it's somewhat, you know, to have that taken away, it's very hard, and it's hard the first time, and the second time, and the third time, and you just have to keep on keeping on. Where there's a will, there's a way. And it sounds so cliche, but it's true. Well... I'm so happy that you guys stayed with it. Alexis? So I have a completely different story. Um, so my husband and I waited, I think it was six months after we got married. I, I told him, I was like, we cannot get pregnant before I go on my honeymoon. <laughs> and I, like, drove this to the ground where I was like, if you ruin Italy for me, that's it. Like, Because <laughs> it was, like, a miracle that we were able to go to Italy for our honeymoon. That was my dream vacation. And like, yeah, How was getting, oh, getting pregnant before, mm-hmm. but somehow. Because then I wouldn't be able to drink. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to say, eat. And, we wine and, cheese. 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 Like, <laughs> and I was like, if Grappa. you ruin this for me. And, like, I hate to, like, want to take those words back because. Um, the guilt. The guilt. The guilt. I mean. Um, I remember going on the plane on our honeymoon in Jewish tradition. You have to, you know, you have letters and whatnot. And we had the letters B and S. So we joked around like we'd name our daughter Bella or, you know, and it was just this constant like joke the whole entire honeymoon. And we were away for two weeks and we had gone to the doctor beforehand. Like, what are all the first steps? And like, what do we need to do? Prenatal pills, all of this. And we got back. It was like the last week of... Or the second to last week of June and 4th of July, I took a pregnancy test. I w- it wasn't coming up pregnant, but I was already a week and a half late. So I was like, this doesn't make sense. And I should have had that as the trigger. Um, I remember going to the doctor and at that point we were between two doctors. So I was actually going to see two doctors to see the ultrasounds. Um, the one doctor told me that my numbers were doubling. Everything looked great. I was pregnant. We were ecstatic. We we're like, oh my God, this, this is way too easy. Um, then the second doctor we went to did the ultrasound. I was supposed to be seven weeks pregnant, seven or eight weeks pregnant. And they said that I would be pregnant with twins. And like the two of us just stared at each other, like instant family, like that's an instant family. And I remember the doctor leaving the room and then coming back in and going, 
why don't you get dressed and come to my office? And I was like, okay. So I come to the office and they're like, well, we just want to see where your numbers are in a, in a week or two. Are you there uh, by yourself or is Adam? No, Adam was with me, but then he went away on a trip in California for a week. So I was by myself and all I kept thinking was, oh my God, what about my numbers are in trouble? I'm like reading every baby book and everything. And my parents are here. His parents are in California with him. So I'm like basically by myself and we hadn't announced that we were pregnant yet. So I can tell anybody, let alone drink. So I was just like, uh, all right, like I'll, I'll just figure this out. He comes back. We found out that uh, we were miscarrying. And this was a week before um, school started, and I was a teacher at that point. Mm. So I was like, okay, what are my options? They said, you can naturally uh, lose the baby. You can have a DNC. Or um, there, there was another option that she had said, and I was like, let's just have the DNC. It's on my time. I don't have to worry about doing it in the first week of school when I'm with my students. So we did the DNC. I didn't sleep for like five or six days beforehand because I couldn't just process what was going on. Like nobody that I knew at that point, like I knew about two people who had a miscarriage and I was like, oh, you know, you feel bad. You you, you hope that they, they have, you know, my two friends went on to have healthy kids and everything like that. But when you're in that spot, you're like, what do I do? I need an adult right now. Like I need somebody else outside of me to make these decisions. So I went in for the DNC, and the nurse is telling me that she had a miscarriage. This is with a doctor that I've never met. Then they had an FAU student come in and help do the DNC, and I was just uncomfortable all over the place. I remember going home, and I remember just watching Game of Thrones. I was like, I'll watch something to get my mind off of it, everything. Three days later, I get a phone call. Doctor goes, well, you didn't have a normal pregnancy. You had a molar pregnancy. And I said, what's that? Like, what's a, I, I know a miscarriage. I know, uh, you know, all these different ones. What's a molar pregnancy? And she said, well, you could either have a partial or a full-on molar pregnancy. I said, that's nice. What is it? Basically, it came down to, like, uh, it could have turned out to be a benign tumor within my uterus and all of this. And I said, oh, well, what's the next step? Well, you have to wait a year. I said, what do you mean I have to wait a year? I said, we, I, I already waited a year. Like, I waited the, my whole engagement. I waited the honeymoon. What do you mean I have to wait a year? And I, I don't do well with the doctors. I don't do well with them telling me what I can't and can't, you know, can and can't do. So um, I remember researching and researching a lot. And I had to go to the doctor's office every week to get blood drawn. And I remember looking like I was like an addict because I had all these needle pins in my my arm and I remember them just pulling this blood and the pregnant women that would walk in and they were far along or they were getting close to their due date and I remember going that could have been me mm. that could have been me but it's not and I remember getting yeah you're playing the counting game. and I remember getting very angry old? I mean there's so many ways that crazy math happens in your brain so um come November I get a phone call from my 19 year old sister she's pregnant it was an accident and I remember the due date being, I think it was a month different than what we should have had. And I remember sitting there going, are you freaking kidding me? And it was so hard because I wanted to be so supportive. But then I was like, that's not fair. It's really not fair. And Because you know what good parents you're going to be and you know how... And I remember her crying to me on the phone, and I felt so bad. I'm like, it's not your, well, it's your fault, but it's not your fault. Like, you should have known better. 
Um, and I have a beautiful niece now. I love her to death. Um, my sister and I are a lot closer because we have kids, which is odd. Um, but after that, I, I dragged my husband to strip clubs. <laughs> I, I needed something different. I needed to be out of my house. I need nobody. What he thought what was good for me was to sit and like figure things out. You went off the rails. I needed to go to strip clubs until three o'clock in the morning, drinking, um, and forgetting. I needed something that was not in the norm. I needed noise around me. I needed. I needed something. I think we all had a vice like that. I just yeah. and I I'm love that your husband went with you. That yes. he. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. I want you to describe your husband's participation in there, and then I want to come to all of you in terms of how what what that vice or that extreme, unpredictable, out of character reaction was. So I had um, it wasn't just my husband; it was my friend Stephanie, <laughs> and we were sitting at like a little pub or bar that was in Delray, and I remember going, "Let's just go to a strip club." They're like. Why? <laughs> I was like, because I want to go. And I remember going to the first one, and I was like, well, this is boring. Let's go to a different one. I dragged them all around West Palm. And so we ended up at one. I mean, we were there from the the start of the show to the repeat of the show <laughs> until, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I was just like, he was like, can we go now? <laughs> I was but like, no, pain, I'm not ready to the go. The pain is so extreme. It, it felt so good to sit there and make fun of people or to watch things and go, like, is this really happening right now? Or just to be in a world that wasn't my norm. Yeah. And it, I remember waking up the next day going, I'm not going to listen to the doctor. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, it's my body. And I, I remember saying, um, at this point it was like three months in, and I said, uh, if I didn't get the DNC done, if I would have done it naturally, we would have never known. Mm-hmm. I said, so I'm going to play that game. And lo and behold, I got pregnant two weeks later, and I have my beautiful daughter now. And fast forward to her birth, it was it was 16 hours in, 17 hours in, and her heart started to drop. Now, the thing that, and I'm sure you guys felt this, the thing that nobody tells you is you worry that first 12 weeks. Well, what happens after the first 12 weeks? Then you worry about having a stillborn, or you worry about something happening during that, that and at that point I was a teacher, and I heard parents, like, losing babies at 20 weeks. Ugh. And I remember coming home, and I mean, we got the fetal heart monitor, and I was constantly, every I, I started getting better than the doctor, because I would sit there, and I would find the heartbeat on, on point, and I would sit there and listen every night, and he, I mean, I went crazy. I became a vegan. Like, I was so worried that it was something in the food, or something. Now that imagine was that, and then having no control. Right. Because it's not. in someone else's body. Correct. Right. I really wanted to have a fetal heart rate monitor and go there every night mm-hmm. and just for that peace of mind and trust me I sent text messages every day every other day you know is she moving today is it a lot is it a little is it this is it that because the one thing with this whole process is which you ultimately took control but it is so far out of your control right. it really it, it takes the innocence out of pregnancy. It really does. It, it just, it takes the joy and the innocence and it right. brings a lot of worry and concern that follows you all the way until that baby's in your arms. Really. And then the worry just gets even more intense. Do like, you worry now still? I mean, absolutely. I for me, when he came, I, once once he got, I got to a certain point in the pregnancy, I worried a lot around the birth. Um, and while I was giving birth, I was very focused on the heart rate monitor and all that. But once he came out, I feel... I, I feel like, like a normal home. mom. I do. I feel like See, he's here. The problems were conceiving. The problems were carrying. Right. He is okay. I don't know. It's. I do have a piece now. I, I find. I don't On know. On some level, I do agree with you. I do. Because it's different now. 
you know, it's yeah. a different ball game. You know, the worries were all associated with the getting pregnant, the staying pregnant, the pregnancy, the everything. And now it's it's totally different. Now you get to feel, you get to touch, you see, you hear. Yeah, yeah everything. I, when, I well, when I had her, she, we went into where her heart was dropping and they rushed me into an emergency C-section. I had a fever. I had 103 fever. So I didn't get to see her until about six hours after having her. Like I didn't. My husband made sure to have her cheek to cheek with me. Like my arms were strapped to a bed. I couldn't move, move or anything like that. And um, I remember once I had her, I was okay. I wasn't I, like I'm not worried about her right now. I know she's in safe arms while while we're here and everything like that. I know she. My husband and I go out every once in a while. The thing that I think I take most is I cherish every moment I have with her. Like. That's the one thing, like, there are some people that they constantly say, oh, well, you know, I just can't with my kids today. I'm like, but I'm happy I can. Like, Sophia had a terrible day today. Screamed her head off since 8 o'clock this morning. But I cherished every moment that I got to rock her, kiss her, comfort her, because I couldn't, you know, there was a possibility that I couldn't have that. Right. So I think that's... There is a poem that I know I've sent to Lori, and I'm not so much as a poem, but kind of a list that I'm going to be a better mom because of. Mm -hmm. And then it lists out the heartbreak, the miscarriage, the nights of crying, just these a long, long laundry list. And not that it does make you a better mom because that's not really the truth, but exactly to what you're saying is that, yes, I cherish every moment and I stare at Blair into those eyes and think to myself, like, you are a miracle and you were sent Mm -hmm. for me. And she's my best friend. She's seven and a half months old. (laughs) She can't talk to me. We can't share our little, you know, secrets together. But one day we will. And she she knows it. Well, and I think the preciousness is priceless. And Mm -hmm. I think that is part of the gift. I think that there will be other challenges. And that is when they do hit those stages where they start pushing you away, Mm -hmm. that there Mm -hmm. is that idea of how do I let it go? How do I let go Mm -hmm. in age-appropriate developmental ways versus I can't let go, this is mine. So it's that, but that's not your journey yet. Mm -hmm. Um, What I want to ask, though, is you're all talking about um, the innocence lost, the, the... what wasn't what what you thought it was going to be that it wasn't are we doing a disservice by not having every story is so individual every story is so unique about pregnancy about carrying about birth mm-hmm. that that we that that we think that, that we have this misconception that it's supposed to be or it could be easy i mean it's so, easy for some but i have a feeling a huge number. I mean, I don't know the statistics, and I didn't want to do research for today, but I'll bet it's 50%. I didn't know. I mean, when she told me, Alexis, that you were coming, I had no idea. We sat next to each other and discovered yeah, yeah. me for nine weeks yeah. with our little babies. I don't, you didn't know that I had difficulty conceiving. No. You have no idea how many of them So it's hard women. to tell the stories when we ask in class. Right. Right. But how do we not... How do we not ask those, how do we not share those stories before so that so that it's a woman thing or a family thing? I, well, I'll, I'll say really quick that we were having, my husband and I were having this conversation the other day, and uh, we've had friends that had miscarriages and whatnot, and um, he goes, you don't understand until you're there. Because you said it. You, you said it. Like you see other people's miscarriages, and it's like, oh, I feel bad for you. But it feels like a blip 
rather than that deep pain. And then you get to Mother's Day on Facebook, which I'm very grateful for. And you see people saying, don't forget the mothers Mm -hmm. that aren't holding their babies. The one thing I learned was never to ask somebody, well, when are you having kids? Because you don't know. You don't know what's behind that door. You don't know the struggle that they're going through. You don't know... You don't know anything. You, you don't know is if they've been trying way, for like years upon years. Is there years. a way to ask something that says, what's your story? Is there a way to invite making, um, putting this out there in some... I think being more open. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was going to say. Right. Just in general. like with your own story. With your own story. And that's why, you know, David and I kept our journey very much a secret. You know, our immediate families knew... Um, and our closest, closest friends. But, you know, our friends and, you know, those acquaintances, nobody knew until we were ready to share. And we're talking years into it. So we built stories, you know, defense mechanisms is to answer those questions. And those are vital for your sanity, right. I'm sure. To just, you know, roll, so things would just roll off. And it was almost in a way an escape for us, you know, to live this other life. You know, when we came home, it was painful sometimes, but when we were out and just living, like, it was another life, you know. And for us, our coping mechanism, we liked to, to travel. And we just kept saying, oh, no, we want to see the world. Like, no, we want to just go to places. We're not ready to have kids yet. You know, and that was what we would say to just kind of saying, you know, just take a deep breath. It's going to happen. And to just kind of push everybody off. Um, but in classes, especially when Blair was little. I mean, three months, you know, I started a class at 12 weeks and clearly I didn't look like I was 12 weeks postpartum because I'm petite, I'm short and people would look at me and it would make me, make me feel uncomfortable. And I felt like I needed to share my story because it was my insecurity that they were looking at me funny. And sometimes it would come out and sometimes it wouldn't. And there was a class, you know, where they say, you know, tell us about, you know, you, is this your first, whatever. And I was sitting next to someone and she had said, like, you know, we waited, we had, we struggled, you know, for this one. And I looked at her and I just said, you don't have to tell me. And immediately we had a bond. And, you know, we're very, very close and there's this sisterhood. But at the same time, it's still not private mainstream right it's very private so and there's a I guess the stigma question is the private versus the taboo you know it's like it's a very hard way to walk that line for me um because so, i want go ahead i have no problem i have no problem like shouting it from the rooftop like this is reality this is what the everyday woman is going through this is everybody this is yeah. so many a lot, a lot this of this is people. such a story that i'm and i will tell you you kind of blew me away when you and David said, let's do a podcast on this. Mm-hmm. Because while I've shared stories with parents for decades, nobody's ever come to me in a baby class feeling it. It's a changing times. This I is love it. We you you changed me, there. you know, and, and that's why I want this to change the world. I really, really, really do. So talk to me about your partners in this. Because um, you didn't go through this alone, and they aren't... They weren't just there to support you either. They were there going through all of their this own emotions. With you. Yeah, and as we well. know the statistics on how devastating this can be for marriages and coupleness. So, oh, yeah. 
Um, who wants to? Well, I think you can go one way or you can go the other. Um, luckily, my husband and I became closer, and I think it brought our marriage to a point where we are just so secure and strong in our bond and better parents for it. Like I said, I got pregnant right away. I mean, very, very soon after we got married. And in hindsight, I don't, I mean, of course we would have been good parents, but I don't know that our marriage was mature enough. I don't know that we, you know, we got engaged after 11 months. We, you know, we planned a wedding and, um, you know, Brett saw me at my most inside out, vulnerable, raw, hysterical self so many times and still loved me. And I mean, I remember saying to him, I went to a wedding and it was after, I don't even want to get into the details, but it was after like the millionth blow. And I just was like, come on. And I was, he, he wanted to have a good time at that wedding and I was in my head and I remember just taking him outside and I cried and I said, please, if you can just, I, I'm I am the girl you fell in love with. I'm fun. I'm everything. Like, I promise if you just hold my hand and get me through this, we're going to get back there. And I think back to that night. And we did. You know, we're, we have so much joy and love and happiness. And we're together. And, you know, that that is behind us. And we're so much stronger for it. And also, just to answer your question, you know, he was going through it as well. It wasn't just me. He... He wanted to be a father in the absolute worst way. Um, you know, even before I, I was a little nervous about getting pregnant and I was a little nervous about becoming a mom. I'm an only child. I've got, I'm set in my ways. You know, I got married later in life and, you know, it's hard. You want that for your partner um, and they go through their own emotions. But I think a lot of times they get stuck in that role of supporting and they have to ignore and push their own feelings down. And, you know, the men are really the unsung heroes yeah, behind us need, in their, this. Their, their needs are way low. They have to this. be strong. They have to support the woman, you know, and they, you know, I, I know Brett came to a, a, a number of Resolve meetings with me and it was, it always, you know, it was hard to hear him talk, but I felt good that he was able to air his feelings as well. So. Yeah, um, I totally agree. David, David is a rock. He is my rock. He's his family's rock. He's a rock. Um, we both cried many of tears, but he was always there to catch me when I was falling, to hold my hand. I mean, and he shed his own tears also when I was laying in a hospital bed post-surgery. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew that we were going to do it together and that we were going to do whatever it needed to be done. So... David really, he was the project manager. Um, where I am emotional, he really just took everything and ran with it. He is the reason that Blair is here today. Because as, as much as it is science and there's, you know, body, part, whatever, you know, medicine and all this stuff, to make it happen, you have to have the mindset to do it as well when it comes to surrogacy and anything else that it might be egg donor or sperm donor or anything you have to be in the right mindset and somebody has to be there to make sure all the ducks are in a row and David is the reason that Blair's here and we we struggled we still struggle I still to this day have a hard time with pregnancy um, because it's an experience that I wish I had had that I didn't. And I feel stress when people tell me they're pregnant, um, especially if it's 
in the first trimester very, very early on. I feel it's added anxiety. Um, in a way, I feel I suffer from PTSD yes. because I put myself in a very bad place when I hear these things. And then, you know, I don't wish harm on anyone and I want the best for my friends and my family. But it's something that I personally struggle with. And David helps me. I mean, he struggles with it also because I, I'm hurt. And together we work through it. And it's easy now to look at Blair and to just say, like, everything's going to go away. But when you're living in it in that moment and that person tells you or whatever it is and you want to put on a happy face, it's hard. I'm glad you said that because I think that's something that lots of people share. And then you get to the unfairness and you get to the right. those other issues of, of people who have babies. that. Maybe. And it brings back the feelings of defectiveness a little mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're there. Yeah. You know, as much as you're a mom and, and somehow you're, you're supposed to. You, yeah, and you just get caught up in the everyday of it. And I, I feel, because I have Dylan, I feel like the most fertile person alive. I carried a pregnancy. I gave birth. I have a son. But when you hear stories and you hear about everybody getting pregnant so easily, it, it brings you back to that place a little and you remember, oh, hey, wait a minute. And somehow, somehow you have to make your yeah. own story the most powerful story that you that you hear. And people and think that you're okay. Yeah, it's all because it's all better. It's all better it's all because you have a baby. Yeah. Well, it's not. it's not, and it never. I mean, it never goes away. It's part of who we are, and it will make me the mother that I am and the person that I am, and that's okay. But and it's allowed to hurt. It's going to hurt. And that's where this is out to say to the people out there who are listening and feeling with us that they are not alone in what they are experiencing. I have to wrap it. Um, I want your poem to post with the podcast. Um, There's so much that doesn't get said here. I mean, and I know everyone here has a lot to share in terms of information. Um, But this was about you guys sharing yourselves and the dads as the unsung heroes because I only met David for 15 minutes and he blew me away that this was his story too. So they aren't here at the table with us and um, I'm glad they are here with us through you. So the final question is always the same and that's how have you got this? Not forever, um, but you've lived through something huge and so um, how do you have this for today, for right now, for, for just here and now? Um, I'll say, because I, I didn't get to mention that, like Adam has been a huge part of all of this. And he, like you said, he went through this all. And um, I feel like we became better parents because of this, just like Lori said. Um, I feel like, like he tells me every night, like I rock her because... I don't know if I'll get to rock her tomorrow. I, I hold her because I don't know if I'll get to do it. Like he, so I guess that's how we're living. And we don't know if we'll have another kid. Um, we're, we don't so know if we'll the be. the other big question. Sure. Yeah, we don't know if we're lucky enough to have another one. And we cherish every moment with her because we don't know if we'll ever get that back. And it's scary to say that, but that's how we're we're like coping with it now we we're, we're just living we want to give her everything we want to do everything with, i mean he made it a point to tell me i want to go to mommy and me class and he comes thursday nights and that's why it's important to him because he wants to be the father that's very hands-on in there and um 
And I'm, I'm happy for that. Like, we, I mean, she's enrolled in four mommy and me classes, so. <laughs> we <laughs> so. love having all of you. <laughs> so that that's, I mean, that's a, basically how we're doing it right now. Yeah, by being so all in. Yeah, we're, we're all in parents. All in. Alex? I have to agree. We're really just living in the moment as best as we can. Um so fortunate now that I can spend every day with Blair. I don't have to worry about work. Um, David is just there for us as much as he can be. He's provided us this life to go to the four mommy and me classes. Um, he comes with us. It's just every day is a blessing. Every day is something new and every day is a memory. Mm-hmm. And we're just taking it day by day and loving every minute of it. Thanks. Um, what went through my head when you asked how I've got this is just, I've got Dylan. I mean, he is just a light. I, I love that child. Every morning when I walk into that nursery and I walk to that crib and I see that little face, I just, I melt a thousand times over. Um, he is so special. And just like Alex said, I, I used to look forward to trips or concerts or the next big thing and countdown days and Really right now, I just live every single day is so special and amazing and watching this child grow and bloom and so lucky. Even, you know, just like Alexa said, whether we have another child, whether we don't have another child, I'm a mother, we're a family, he's my son, and we've got this together, all of us. I love it and I love that your children found your homes. It's all so good. Thank you very, very much. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to The Front and the Follow for the song Listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.